Today on Blue 58, the Packers have finished their second roster adjustment of the preseason, eliminating three more players in their quest for 53. We'll sort through those moves before diving into Jordan Love's performance in the Packers' second preseason game. Spoiler alert, he was good. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's not quite deadline time, but as I record this, the Packers have made the three moves that they needed to do to get to the 80-man roster limit set for today. It's possible that in the intervening time between when I finish this recording and when it comes out, they could make a couple other moves and add some people. That's what they did the last time around. But for right now, we've got three moves. First, Cole Van Lannen was traded. 2020 sixth round pick, 2021 sixth round pick, excuse me, last year. Uh, He was traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you start digging into the Packers roster, it's easy to see why they made this move. It's probably for something like a conditional sixth or a seventh round pick. I wouldn't hope for much more than that. But this is just getting potentially something instead of nothing for this guy. Van Lannen, a hybrid guard tackle type player, is a tough sell on a roster where you've got Elton Jenkins, Zach Tom, Sean Ryan, Royce Newman, and Caleb Jones, and Rasheed Walker, who are all factors at one or both of those spots. It gets to be pretty easy to see why he got crowded out. So unfortunately for the the hometown story, the Green Bay native, this is the end of the line, at least for right now. You never know. Sometimes guys do make their way back to Green Bay. Second move was Vernon Scott getting released slash waived injured. The story is if he clears waivers, he'll revert back to the Packers injured reserve. If they want to do an injury settlement from there, that means he could come back to the Packers at some point. That is, of course, if he decides to, one, well, if first he is not claimed by somebody else on waivers, and secondly, if he decides not to sign with anybody else in the intervening time, that, of course, would make it hard for him to come back to Green Bay. This is a bummer because it looked like he was in line to be the the Packers' third safety before he got injured in the second preseason game, and it seems like it was a pretty serious injury, maybe a a pretty serious shoulder issue or something with his bicep. Um, Real bummer for him because it looked like there was a real big opportunity there at safety, and he's just not going to have a chance to take advantage of an opportunity like that. And that is just, that's the way it goes sometimes, but that doesn't mean we have to, you know, be happy about it. Uh, I think the Packers would be interested in having him back if Getting him back this year is even an option. We'll see once we learn a little bit more about exactly what that injury was. Final move for today was Kylan Hill getting shifted officially over to the the regular season version of the physically unable to perform list. Not a huge surprise here, though he did tear his ACL on the same day as Robert Tunyon, and Tunyon is already not back, but pretty close to being back. He's off the pup list. Um, Every ACL injury is different. Uh, Tunyon is ahead of the curve, so seeing them wait a little bit with Hill is not a huge surprise here. On top of that, the Packers do have some other options as the at the third running back spot, and Tunyon, meanwhile, is the clear-cut top guy at tight end if he's healthy. They're, they have no other pass-catching tight end like him on the roster. Hill, they've got some redundancies there. So he's going to be out the first four weeks of the season at the very least. Again, no need to rush here if he's not on the same timeline as Robert Tunyon. Also happening this weekend, uh, David Bakhtiari came off the pup list. 
Uh, he practiced twice and then took a rest day on Tuesday. According to Matt LaFleur, that is part of the the plan for getting him ramped up to being ready to go as a full go in practice and games and, and all of that sort of thing. I'm kind of of two minds of this. On the one hand, it's a real good thing that he's off the pup list. That's what we all wanted all this time. We want him practicing. We want him getting ready to be available to go in games. But on the other hand, we've been through this before. He came off the physically unable to perform list last year and then didn't get into a game until week 18. And then all we saw from him was 20-something snaps before he got shut down again for the Packers playoff game. So if you are of the mindset that you're going to be, you know, kind of wait until we see it sort of mode, I certainly can't blame you. I do not blame you at all for wanting to actually see him on the field for a game or maybe multiple games before you feel comfortable saying, okay, I can feel comfortable with where David Bakhtiari is right now. Totally fair. We got a relevant question about this situation from Serb Packer in the Discord server of the of the Power Sweep and Blue Fifty Eight. He asks, "What's your opinion on the David Bakhtiari situation and whether Green Bay, as an organization, has handled it well?" My overall impression is that they do seem to have handled this well. They've been steadfast in their belief in him and their public support for him, which I think, as a player, is really all that you can ask. They've tried to give him as much time as possible to get back kind of on his schedule. They haven't, at least publicly, pushed him to go any faster than that. They've done a good job of letting this be player-directed, and I think that's really what you want. On, on top of that, there's really no harm other than you know not having the services of the player if you do get him back eventually to letting him take the time that he needs. Yeah, sure, you would like to have you know something for your investment there, but if you have him, you know, for the stretch run for this season, you have him for the playoffs and you end up winning a Super Bowl because you have solid performance from your left tackle, which has been not the case the last two years in the playoffs, that is a net win. So they've done a good job, I think, of letting this be player directed. And again, why wouldn't they? They want him out there when he's healthy and they don't want him out there until he's healthy. So until he feels like he's ready to go, you, you let him take the time that he needs. If there is a point at which you could say maybe they didn't handle it well, I could see a point where you might want to criticize them a little bit for maybe having too much hope in public prior to the setbacks that he's had. I don't think the Packers have ever explicitly said, yes, we think David's going to be back on this day. But just how they handled things last year, especially when he started practicing last October, all the public indications were that he was about ready to get back in the field. Now, he did have some setbacks in the intervening time there, but I think you can see some changes with how Matt LaFleur has handled how he talks about timelines now. He just says, I'm not going to talk about timelines. He'll give praise where it's merited, say things like, it's good to have Dave out there, we're, we're glad to have him back. But he doesn't put any kind of a timeline on it. He doesn't give any sort of indication that the Packers think he could be back this week or next week or, or any kind of week ever. And he has taken that same approach with other guys as they come off the physically unable to perform list too. Whenever he talks about injuries, he's very careful to not do anything about timelines. 
he's just taking everything as it comes. And with David Bakhtiari, it's come pretty slowly. I'm sure the Packers have some internal frustration about that. I'm sure they would have liked to have him back much sooner. I mean, I would have. Certainly, you probably would have too. I don't think anybody can be blamed for that. Heck, David Bakhtiari has said that he he had hoped to be back much sooner. And we don't know a whole lot about what's going on behind the scenes here either. There's there's a whole lot that we don't really know here. David Bakhtiari was, I thought, unusually forthcoming after the end of last season when he did that interview with Aaron Nagler of Cheesehead TV, kind of explaining, at least to the extent that he felt comfortable, what had gone on with his injury, why he hadn't been back out on the field, what sort of procedures and surgeries and what his rehab had actually been like. Most guys don't really go into that. And I thought he deserved some credit for that too. We really don't know how the Packers feel about all that other than what they've said publicly. So anything other than that is is speculation and you run the risk of, of getting reckless, I think, with that pretty quickly. But the Packers do have a strong record of being very conservative with injuries. They're not going to put guys out there before they think they're ready. And so if you see guys like Elton Jenkins and Robert Tunyon out there and practicing, you can be pretty confident that the Packers feel that their worst days are behind them, at least as far as the injury goes. If David Bakhtiari, on the other hand, isn't out there, I think that tells you a lot about how the Packers feel about him too, and to another extent, how David Bakhtiari feels about his injury as well. So overall, I think the Packers have handled this pretty well, about as well as you possibly can. It's just been a bummer of a situation for, I think, everybody involved. Before we dive into the back half of our podcast here, I want to take a second and shout out Patreon supporters Dan Ross, CVD, and Devlin Sheehan. Thank you, each of you, for your support for Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. Thank you for being a part of our community. And I once again want to give a shout out to our great community of listeners and supporters, uh, primarily in our Discord server. If you head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and contribute any dollar amount per month, uh, you would get access to that uh, Discord server and to some bonus content that we release only on Patreon that's going to start ramping up over the next few months as we go into the regular season. Uh, Try to get you something every couple of weeks at least every month uh, out of season, but in season you're going to see a lot more stuff, and that includes uh, my my game notes from every game the Packers play. You'll see my my handwritten stuff uh, from taken as the Packers are playing. Uh, you'll see my weekly picks, and you'll see just stuff that we post uh, on a monthly basis, monthly Ask Me Anything columns, um, other stuff as it comes up. Uh, but the, the Discord server is a great place to hang out with Packers fans from all over the world, and I would really encourage you to check it out. At least give it a try. Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep. Any dollar amount per month will allow me to invite you into that uh, patron-only space, and uh, I would love to see you there. So check it out, and thank you to those of you who have chosen to support Blue 58 and the Power Sweep. Preseason game number two. There are exactly two guys that I would like to talk about. Jordan Love and Tyler Davis. Let's start with Jordan Love, because Jordan Love, there is a lot to love here, if you'll pardon the pun. Actually, don't pardon the pun. Take it or leave it. I thought Jordan Love was really good last Friday night, and not just good, but exciting to watch, which has been an entirely foreign concept, I think, in the Jordan Love experience to date. I thought he did a good job, despite his circumstances, Those circumstances included some poor performances from some of his teammates, as well as some poor conditions there. It was wet throughout and actually raining throughout part of that game, too. It didn't seem to phase him. 
I thought he looked much more relaxed, and I thought he really showcased some of the talent that we've heard about now for years. And, you know, it's been reported on in practice, some of these incredible throws that he can make. We got to see it on Friday, and that's really exciting, I thought. Over the the, the course of this preseason and, and some of the offseason, too, we've talked about ways to evaluate Jordan Love. And looking back through some of my notes, I, I came across five things that I wanted to see from Love. And I think it behooves us to take a second and look through each of those five things as we talk about his performance on Friday. Those five things are, one, footwork, two, being able to, able to elevate his teammates, three, having command of the offense, four, down-to-down consistency, and five, authority, acting like he belongs in the position he's in out on the field. Footwork. I thought it was much cleaner on Friday night. In the past, when he's struggled with accuracy, I think some of that is because he's a bit of an overstrider. Love has long limbs. He's got long arms, long legs. And if you get too many of those long levers moving at once or moving in an incorrect way, you're going to have accuracy issues. And a lot of those accuracy issues showed up, I've thought, the last couple of years when he takes too long of a step when he's throwing the ball. You saw a pronounced difference, I thought, in his footwork on Friday night, especially on a couple of the out routes or crossing routes to Romeo Dubs. Just a tight, uh, short step, nice throwing motion right on the money uh, for Dubs. So that was good to see. Again, just one game, but in that one game, he did a really good job. He also did a good job of elevating his teammates. Now, those teammates in a number of circumstances let him down. I can think of four situations where had they performed at the level Jordan Love was performing at, you would have resulted in either very good or even spectacular plays. You've got the drop by Patrick Taylor in the end zone where Jordan Love um, runs around behind the line of scrimmage, ends up ripping a rocket towards the left side of the end zone, and it just if it was a bit taller of a guy or a bit better of a receiver, probably would have been a touchdown. Patrick Taylor makes a pretty good effort for it, but is unable to bring it in. Uh, Romeo Dubs had a slot fade sort of play on the right side. He ends up dropping that. Uh, Amari Rogers, not quite a seam route, maybe a post route. Uh, Love really rips that one in there. He is unable to come up with the catch. It looks like it was real close, but he, he just couldn't complete it. And then Samari Torre drops one going down the left side line. Um, all of those throws, I think, are an example of Love, if not elevating his teammates, at least putting his teammates in a position where they can make a play. A couple of those throws, Love couldn't have done much more for the guy than walk over there and hand him the ball himself. I mean, the throw to Rodgers, good coverage, pretty reasonably good coverage. Love fits it in there in a tight window. It should be a catch. Uh, the throw to Patrick Taylor, while it is a high-difficulty catch, that's the only place that the ball really could have been to give anybody a chance at catching it. Love stays alive in the backfield, lets Taylor work open, gets him the ball, just can't complete the process there. Uh, same with Dubs on the sideline. Uh, Love puts the ball, it looked like, in a good spot. If Dubs plays the air, the ball in the air a little bit better, well, that that's a catch too. And then Teray on the sideline, that's a long pass. Uh, he does a good job getting open. Love delivers the ball to him. Well, you, you got to make the play there, and that's why Dubs is on the roster bubble. So 
down to down consistent or the excuse me the elevating teammates aspect was there he was putting his teammates in a position to make plays and they just they just didn't command of the offense this seems like a pretty easy one because love looked like he was absolutely in command on friday night he looked comfortable out on the field he looked like he was in control of what he was doing he looked like he knew the right levers and buttons to push at the right times uh, to get the guys to do what they needed to do didn't always work out but he was putting everybody in the right spot and doing the right things. Down-to-down consistency. Now, if there is one thing where you, you want to ding him on Friday night, small thing, but there was some inconsistency on the shorter throws. The short out routes, the short routes in the flat have been a bit of a problem for Love this preseason in particular. I think that relates to some of his mechanical issues overall, and that that still is a work in progress. But I think overall, the down-to-down consistency was much better than we've seen in the past. Even in the first preseason game where Matt LaFleur and others, including Aaron Rodgers, absolved him from a lot of the issues the Packers had on offense, Love still seemed inconsistent play-to-play and throw-to-throw. I don't think that was quite as much an issue on Friday night. If you are looking for issues, and believe me, there are some people out there that are looking for issues... You've probably encountered some of them, and heck, I've been accused of that on this podcast too. Sometimes that's fair. Sometimes I don't think that's quite so fair. I think um, there are some high standards when it comes to evaluation, when it comes to this particular position and and the timing at which that, that pick was made. If you're looking to ding him for something, this would probably be it. But relative to other love performances that we've seen, His down-to-down consistency, I thought, was much better than it was in the past. Look back to, just say, for example, the Chiefs game. Now, we've talked about the issues last year with evaluating love based on that Kansas City Chiefs game, and there are are many. But I think even accounting for those, you could see that there were issues in that game with love stringing together good plays and good, good decisions. It was... It was almost like every play was its own thing. There was no building on anything before it. There didn't seem to be until that one drive in the second half where the Packers went real quick game uh, for an extended period of time. There was no situation where it felt like Love was was building on what he'd done previously. I don't think you can say that same thing here. If you're looking at down-to-down consistency being an issue, it's just because he's missing some throws that he shouldn't but still miles ahead of where he's been in the past. Finally, the last point I think is the most important one. Playing with authority, playing in such a way that it looks like he believes that he belongs out there, being the, in this case, nominal, but overall, it's a distinction without a difference, a starting quarterback in the NFL. He finally looked to me like he was playing not thinking. And that's an issue, I think, with younger players, especially ones who don't get a lot of playing time. They get out there on the field, and it's time to go, and it's almost like every play that happens, as the play is going on, you see them thinking, all right, what do I have to do right now? With receivers, young receivers, you can almost see the gears turning in their head. It's almost like they go, all right, step, 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 step. Now we got got the four steps in. What do we do next? All right, we put one foot here, and then we cut to the left. We take two more steps, then we cut it slightly more upfield, and then we take three more steps, and then the ball should be there. It's like they can, you can see them talking themselves through that process on the field. When you're a quarterback, that shows up 
with a lot of kind of like hitches in your throwing motion and double clutching and just not looking like you're sure of where you're going at the ball. Love did not have that problem on Friday night. And I think you can really see it on a couple of those more spectacular throws. The end zone throw to Patrick Taylor and that middle of the field route, that's just what we'll call it, to Amari Rogers, I think are the best examples. Because boy, do you need to have some belief in yourself to even try those throws. Yes, in the NFL, those guys are open, and those are the kinds of plays that you should be able to count on a guy to make. But you don't make that throw to Patrick Taylor unless you have some confidence in your ability to make that throw. You don't try to split those two defenders and get that ball in there to Amari Rodgers unless you've got some belief in yourself to make that throw. And that kind of thing is exciting to see from Jordan Love. Overall, one game doesn't mean much in the scope of our evaluation of him. If you're inclined to think that he's a great prospect, you'll point to this and say, wow, this is what we've been talking about this whole time. If you're inclined to to not believe in love as a prospect, you'll probably say, yeah, but what about all the other times? I would encourage you to just step away from both of those perspectives if you're still making up your mind about love, and I think we all should be in that camp right now, and just say this was, regardless of what we've seen elsewhere, this was a good performance. He did some really good things, and uh, I think it's okay if you want to be excited about those things too. It was an exciting game, if nothing else. Now, Tyler Davis, he was really bad in the second preseason game. These guys, especially lower-end roster guys, aren't getting a ton of playing time. And if you manage to come up with two really bad plays in some pretty limited burn, it's it's going to look real bad. And it did for Davis in the second preseason game too, there. He had a significant holding call that wiped out a big completion from Jordan Love. He also had a catch and then a fumble, which was the second turnover for which he was responsible in two preseason games. Because that first preseason game, he had a drop that led to an interception. So three pretty significant bad plays for Davis through two games. And I think there was, if not a consensus, a lot of people who thought that he might be one of the Packers' cuts today. And, you know, given when we're recording this, it's just after 4 p.m. Eastern time as I tape this. It is entirely possible that he has either been cut as I tape this show or will be cut after I, I record it at some point between now and tomorrow morning when it goes out. But I think there is reason to be patient here. Three reasons, in fact. First, Davis is, I think at best, probably the fourth tight end on the Packers roster right now. Mercedes Lewis is for sure ahead of him, as is Robert Tunyon. Josiah DeGuara, if you want to make the case that he's even with Davis, I think you're probably being too harsh on DeGuara. But at best, they're fighting for the, the third tight end spot. And I would say DeGuara is pretty comfortably ahead of him there. But that is probably not the right way to look at it because the fourth tight end is more of a special teams position anyway. The Packers are going to need him as a, a blocker and cover guy on punts, a, a blocker on kickoff return, and a blocker on, on the field goal units. And that's probably about it other than some cameo appearances on offense from time to time. If he's making bad plays on offense, that is obviously not a great thing. But if you're looking to evaluate Tyler Davis, 
what you really got to do is be the kind of sicko who is going to sit down and watch preseason special teams tape. And if that is what you want to do and you've come to the conclusion that he needs to be um, be cut based on that, I would just like to offer you a firm handshake and congratulations because you've done some yeoman's work there. If you've gone through and evaluated all of his special team snap, that is that's impressive. And if you can come up with an opinion on him based on that, more power to you. I, I invite you to do that. That's great work on your part. Evaluating Davis on some bad plays is, I think, only looking at a very small part of the picture as to what's going to get him on the roster. Sure, it's bad, but look at his special teams performance there too. Secondly, we got to remember that Davis is still very much a work in progress as a player. Some on the Packers beat have gone back to his college days and made some significant arguments about him being a converted quarterback. While that's true, we're in year two in the NFL. He played tight end for multiple years in college. That doesn't carry a lot of water for me. However, just saying, hey, he's in year two in the NFL. He's got a lot of great physical tools. It could take him some time to figure out who he is as a player. That, I think, is is a good argument. Because saying he's a work in progress as a player is fair and accurate. Because if he was more of a complete player, he would have been drafted. Uh, We'd be further along in the process here. He's still learning how to be an NFL player, harnessing those athletic gifts, figuring out how to be an effective blocker. Heck, a lot of tight ends never end up figuring out how to be a real plus blocker in the NFL. All they end up being is not an active detriment to your run game when you try to block with them. So don't worry about it. From that aspect, I think he still is a work in progress, and the Packers like his potential, and I think there's reason to to like his potential there, too, because he's a, a good athlete relative to other guys at his position. It still is a, a nice big body. Finally, uh, the preseason games are just an incredibly small slice, and I've, I've kind of said this in another way before, but these guys are playing so few snaps relative to other times when their coaches are seeing them. I mean, Matt LaFleur is seeing Tyler Davis day in and day out at practice. And when he says he believes in Tyler Davis still, when Brian Gutekind says they they think they've got something in Davis still, that's why. It's not just because of some preseason performances. And boy, the preseason performances have not been great, I mean, to this point. And if if you're inclined to argue on on the Davis side, that's something that you have to deal with, to be sure. But... um, this it's a very small part of the picture. So if he ends up making the roster, don't just end up crowing about the preseason performances. Although I'm not trying to, you know, put lipstick on a pig here. They've been bad, but it's just a small part of the overall evaluation of Tyler Davis. Just a small, small fraction of what we're seeing or what coaches are seeing on a, on a daily and weekly basis. Um, to be sure, you would like to see something better out of Davis in games uh, I almost said games that count. They don't count, but you, you understand there. When the when you're playing with live ammunition, basically, you'd like to see a little bit more out of Tyler Davis. Totally fair. But um, it's it's just a part of what's going on there. Give it some time. If the Packers end up cutting him, it won't be that big of a surprise. But we're dealing with, with very pretty low-level roster stuff at this point, too. I wouldn't get too worked up about it either way. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you listening in. I appreciate 
I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with somebody else you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers. That's the number one way that our show grows, and it would mean a lot to me if you would take a second and and help us do that. Help us grow. Help us get the word out about Blue 58 here heading into the 2022 season. Getting more people involved in that conversation is going to also help all of us Me included, perhaps me most of all, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.